Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind dries away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson today is from the book of Acts. Acts is the second of two New Testament books that have been written by Luke, and the name of the book actually is a great description of what is contained in it. For in telling the story of the early church, Luke unfolds a series of acts. As Sarah has already mentioned in the children's message, the reading today is an episode that occurs shortly after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And the followers of Jesus come together in a room in Jerusalem. And so let us now listen for God's word to us today as this is read and we find out what happens next after the ascension. This is the first chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with verse 12. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons. And he said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and they said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. 
Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Leadership is important. Doris Kearns Goodwin, in her riveting book that is entitled Leadership in Turbulent Times, places the lives and the presidencies of four particular presidents, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. She takes them and she places their lives and their presidencies under her historian's microscope and then um, begins to examine them through the lens of leadership. She begins with Abraham Lincoln. And when Abraham Lincoln um, was inaugurated on March the 4th, 1861, he came into office, as Doris Kearns Goodwin writes, when the house was not only divided, it was actually on fire. For in the four months between his election and his inauguration, the seven southern states had seceded from the Union. They had formed their own government, written a constitution, and selected Jefferson Davis as the president of the Confederate States of America. And so, entering into that time, Lincoln's very first act of leadership was to appoint the most unusual cabinet in all of American history, a team of rivals. And immediately, in order to move the country forward, what he did was to institute among them and insist among them that they treat each other with mutual dignity and respect. And he helped that along by controlling what was a very strong temper, his anger, that he would often express. And indeed, um, after Lincoln's letters were opened at the beginning of the 20th century, what was found was a raft of what would come to be known as Lincoln's hot letters. They were letters that he had flung off in fits of anger. And in these letters, at the bottom of each one of them, in his own handwriting were these notes, never signed and never sent. Then there was Teddy Roosevelt. He came into office as the President McKinley just before him had died. There was a beginning widespread panic that the stock market was going to crash. And so his leadership style was to use history as a way of giving some perspective to that particular time in which they were living. And then also to make himself very visible, especially present to the people who were most closely affected by the particular crisis. When Franklin Roosevelt took office, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin actually quotes a journalist from that time, Agnes Meyer. And she had written in her diary a week before the inauguration of FDR on March the 4th, um, 1933. 
the world is quaking beneath our feet. And Doris Kearns Goodwin assesses FDR's leadership style by saying his particular strength was to strike just the right balance between realism and optimism. And he had the gift of being able to speak very simply, very directly to the people. And then there was Lyndon Johnson. And LBJ was known for his pro prodigious, his absolutely outsized ego. But he came into office during a time of crisis, too, immediately after President Kennedy's assassination. And what he was able to do was to put aside this huge ego of his and allow Everett Dirksen, the Republican leader of the Senate, to take center stage. And what happened was that as Dirksen took center stage, he was able to rally enough Republican support in order that this groundbreaking civil rights legislation was able to be enacted so quickly, so very quickly, um, following President Kennedy's death. So leadership is really important. It is important in the political realm, and it is also important in church. Luke makes the point of that because one of the very first things that he tells about the creation story, about the creation of the church, is that um, immediately after Jesus has ascended into heaven, what's the first thing that the church does? They call a congregational meeting. And they are beginning that work of trying to find a leader to replace Judas Iscariot. So what they do is, first of all, they kind of pull up what the qualifications will be for this new leader. It's one qualification, and that is that the person needed to have joined them in ministry during the time that Jesus was engaged in ministry on earth. Then they proceed to pray, led by Peter, and they put forward two names, Justice and Matthias. They cast lots, which is the first century uh, equivalent of uh, drawing straws or um, flipping a coin. And it is in that way that Matthias is elected. Now, what Luke is doing in describing all of this is really making a theological statement. And what he is emphasizing is that faithful leadership in the church is most of all dependent not on the people themselves, but on God. It is God who chooses the leaders. Now, when we think about casting lots for leaders in a church, it strikes us as rather an odd way to choose uh, leadership. But actually, <clears throat> I have read of a church in Washington, D.C. that does something very much like this. Um, on the day that is their annual congregational meeting, uh, the congregation gathers and the names of all of the able-bodied adult members of the congregation are put into a hat. And then they have a prayer, and they proceed to draw names out of that hat. The first name that is drawn becomes the moderator for the coming year. The second name that is drawn becomes the vice moderator. The third name is the clerk, and so on. They fill all of their slots of leadership. Um, 
nobody can refuse to serve. If you join this church, then you are saying you are open to being a leader there. Now, um, they say that they get some surprises sometimes. But all in all, they say it works out pretty well. And if you join this church, more than likely, you're going to have the chance to be a leader somewhere along the line. And you will learn and you will grow in the process. Well, what this congregation is doing is also making a strong theological statement, saying that when God's purposes are accomplished, it's not so dependent on the particular qualifications or aspirations or even the actions of the leaders. It is the work of God. So Luke really emphasizes the importance of leadership right here in the first chapter of Acts. But you know, there's something in this text that interests me even more than these leaders who were chosen. Indeed, I, I kind of feel that in Luke's homing so intensely on the importance of leadership that he almost passes by some others who are very, very important in this story. In that room, you know, there were 120 people. Twelve of them became leaders. That leaves 108 people. And most of those 108 people are never named. Their names are not inscribed on the plaques that appear in the wall of the Hall of Fame of Faith. But their story is important too. Their story is important because it's the story of most of us most of the time. Now, have you ever wondered what happened after this congregational meeting concluded? Well, I don't know precisely either because Luke doesn't tell us what happened immediately after it, but here's how I imagine it. I imagine that one of those 108 people stood up and he said, you know, it was great when Jesus was with us. It was really great. But he's not with us anymore, and neither is Judas. And haven't we learned a lesson from that? It's not such a great idea for just one person to be the treasurer and to have all of the control of the budget. So, is there somebody here and who will join me, and let's start something called a committee. We'll call it a finance committee. And we will work on a budget, and then we will gather up the funds that we need. Because, you know, if we are going to be faithful to what Jesus told us to be, to go out into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, then we're going to have to have some funds to do that. And then another person from this 108 
chimes in, and she stands up, and she said, you know, since Jesus ascended into heaven, we have had some sweet new babies born in our congregation. And, you know, they never will have ever laid eyes on Jesus. So we have to tell the stories of Jesus to them. Because if we don't, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, they will never know the good news of Jesus. So who here will join me in helping to start and to build our children's ministry around here? And then another person from that 108 speaks up. And she says, you know, next week we're expecting hordes of pilgrims to come right here into Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. And they're going to be looking for some hospitality from us. And so who's going to help me make some name tags and gather together some snacks so that they feel well cared for? Well, of course, I'm imagining that that's the way that it happened. But I think that it probably was something like that. That at the close of that congregational meeting, the people who were there joined hands with one another and they prayed. And then as the amens chorus, they looked up and they rolled up their sleeves and they set themselves to work. And as they did, there was this sense of deep joy among them because they were a part of each other and they could see God's future right out there in front of them. And they believed with all of their hearts that God's purposes were being accomplished and they were a part of it. And you know, as I read this story, I think it becomes not only the story of 12 leaders and 108 other people way back in the first century, it also becomes our story. Because you know, in the times in which we live, in this big world where the matters are so complex, and in our smaller church world where people can bump up against each other in some uncomfortable ways, it's easy to become cynical. And it's easy to think that the little things that we do because of our faith don't really make a difference. So this story is encouraging to us to remind us that when we pray at the beginning of each day and the close of each day, when we offer a ride to somebody to a medical appointment, or when we fill up a grocery bag with food items for Echo, or when we step back from gossip and innuendo, that all of this makes a difference, and God's purposes get worked out 
through these small acts, all moving the world forward toward God's purposes. Acts 1 is the story of 12 leaders and 108 other people in the first century. Acts 1 is also the story of Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church for today. It's a story of the blessing that comes when people like you and people like me move together and God's purposes get worked out toward that future in which God's vision is fulfilled. Amen.